welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So glad that you're with us this morning as we continue our series, Uprising, the origins of the early church. If you look back in the last 12 to 18 months, there's been a lot of uprisings, been a handful of revolutions in Tunisia and Egypt. There's been uprisings in in Russia and China and India. There was a 12-day hunger strike. Right here in the U.S., we had some economic uprisings called Occupy Wall Street. There's been a lot of uprisings, both politically and economically around the world. But back in the first century, it was a different type of uprising. It was a different type of revolution. It wasn't a political or a national or economic one. It was a revolution of the heart. It was an uprising of the soul. It was a transformation of the inside that changed everything else about life. See, after Jesus died on the cross, after he rose from the grave, he says these words in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the theme verse for our, theory, or our series. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the rest of the world. You will receive power, not an economic power, not a political power, but an internal power power source the holy spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses you'll bear truth that jesus is alive and active in the world today and you're going to go to jerusalem and then judea and then samaria that place you don't even like and then to the rest of the world so jesus started this revolution of our souls and he, and he invites us to participate to bear witness that jesus is Alive, And all too often when we hear the word church, we think of a building or an institution or a, a list of rules and rituals. We, we go to church, we shop for church, but very rarely do we enter into the origins of the early church. See, in the beginning, Jesus says, you will receive power and you will bear witness and you're going to go out to those that don't know me, to those that have yet to find me and bear witness that Jesus is alive. And they did that. The first century believers did just that. They responded to the command to go. And they went on, they bear witness. And, and we are here today because those first followers of Jesus followed the command to stand up for Christ in the face of tremendous persecution. And what started out as a small insignificant, you know, a dozen people grew to about a hundred. And then we talked about on the, on the day of Pentecost, it grew to about a few thousand. Then it grew for a few more thousand. And now there are millions and millions of people. A third of the world's population confess an understanding that Jesus is God or somehow connected to God. These are the origins. And these men and women of the early church risked their lives so that we could gather as the church today. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the leaders of the early church. This morning, we're going to spend some time talking about the man and the message that one of the, the leaders of the early church, he, he's central to the story. His, his story is repeated three times in the book of Acts and he's responsible for starting multiple churches. He wrote much of the New Testament. Does anybody know who I might be talking about? Saul, yeah, Paul. Paul, the apostle. Paul, the, 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 the missionary. Paul, this man that in the face of tremendous persecution started churches and spread the, the message of Jesus around the world. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. We've been studying this, this, this book over the last few weeks. We started in Acts chapters 1 and 2. 
And, and we learned about the, the opening day of the church where Peter preached, the Holy Spirit came down, and, and thousands of people came to faith. Then in Acts chapters 2, uh, or 3 and 4, we, we listened to the, the first prayers of the church. They prayed for boldness in the face of great persecution. Last week, we stood up, histomy, and, and we saw the first century believers standing up and, and proclaiming that Jesus is alive. But now, opposition comes. At this part of the story of the early church, opposition comes to the stoning of Stephen Happus. He was one of the followers of Jesus. And he's stoned. He's put to death because of his faith. And in this context, we are introduced, Luke introduces to, to the most, or one of the most influential leaders of the church. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we read this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul, the apostle Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. And these were not just empty threats. He was destroying the church. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to go to the synagogues in Damascus. And, and so he went, and if he found any of those who belonged to the way, anybody that belonged to the movement of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. These were not empty threats. Paul, the apostle, actively was engaged in the search and arrest and imprisonment of believers. In previous chapters, in, 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 verse, in chapter 8, we read this, Saul was there. Where was there? Saul was at the stoning of Stephen. He was the coat rack. The men would rip off their coats and they would take their stones and they were throwing the stones at Stephen. And he gave approval to the death of Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and saw the future leader, most influential leader of the church began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them into prison. That's his pattern. That was his MO. He was an evil man. In Acts 22, Paul said this, I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. He goes on to say, On the authority of the chief priests, I put many saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul may not have pulled the trigger, but he was there. He cast the vote. He murdered. He participated in the first great persecution of the church. In 1 Timothy, Paul describes himself this way. He says, I was a violent man. I was the worst of sinners. And what's confusing about Paul is that Paul was a religious man. Saul studied the scriptures. He, he understood the, 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 the message of God found throughout the Old Testament. He, 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 he taught the Bible. He followed the law flawlessly, as we read in the book of Philippians. And yet he didn't know God. He studied the scriptures. He taught the scriptures, but he didn't know God's heart for the world. Paul terrorized and sought to destroy the church. Until one day, something amazing happened. Until one day, out of nowhere, Paul met Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, we read this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly 
a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the lightning flashed. I mean, the thunder rolled. Paul freaks out. You know, he's dropped to the ground. He's afraid. Maybe it stopped, drop, and roll. We don't know, but he's terrified. I mean, he's scared. And he heard the voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Paul, Saul, Saul knew this was a divine encounter. This wasn't just some voice. This was the voice of God. Lord, who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Why are you persecuting me? Notice Jesus did not say, why are you persecuting it? That's not what he said. Jesus did not say, hey, why are you persecuting the institution? Why are you persecuting the worship service? Why are you persecuting the it? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because the church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is the body of Jesus. We collectively are the body of Jesus. We live and move and have our being. And whenever two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, so Jesus is with us as the church. Why do you persecute me? We are the body of Jesus. We as a church, we're not some institution, we're not some worship service. We're the body, the hands and feet of Jesus. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. They didn't understand what was going on. I mean, they heard the sound, but they didn't understand the message. They didn't understand what was going on in Saul's life. But Saul understood. Saul knew. He saw the light. He heard the voice. And in verse 8, Saul got up from the ground. And when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And for three days, he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. See, see Paul was... He was blinded. I love that song. That's where the song came from. You know that, don't you? Actually, it was Bruce Springsteen. But anyway, he was blinded. He was blinded by the light, and and he couldn't see where he was going. And so so he couldn't eat. And then these guys said that, his companions said to take him by the hand and bring him into Damascus. And when he gets to Damascus, this is what happens. I love this part. He says, Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. You just got to love Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, not the curved one, the straight one, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And I love Ananias' response. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Meaning I don't have to go looking for Saul. Saul's looking for me. I've heard about this man. He's an evil man. He goes from house to house and he arrests them and he takes them men and women and he puts them in prison and he votes yes upon their death. He's an evil man. I don't need to go looking for Saul. I need to hide from Saul, because he's an evil man. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, what a great word for the mission of the church, go. Why? Because this man, 
This man that you see as evil, this man that you're so afraid of, this man that is destroying the church right now, he is my chosen instrument. This man is my chosen instrument. This man that you know as an instrument of death is soon going to be an instrument of life. He's going to be the most influential leader of the church because he's mine. When Ananias went to the house, verse 17, he entered it. I'm sorry, he's going to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before people of Israel. And then verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. He said, Brother Saul. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me to you to make to, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. But he couldn't just see physically, he could see spiritually. He wasn't just healed physically. Healing is much more complex than that. He was healed spiritually. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that indwells all of us who believe Paul, Saul, was filled with the Spirit. He got up and he was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength and he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. He hung out with the disciples. Later we read that he spent years with the disciples learning about the way, embracing, internalizing the message and the person of Jesus. Verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished. Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Isn't he the guy, the evil guy? Isn't he the one? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful. And he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. What an amazing story. What a powerful story. I mean, God chose the most unlikely character, the most unlikely candidate, this evil man. And he made him into the most influential leader of the church. It's astounding. God rescued, God redeemed, God empowered Saul to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the rest of the world, proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And if God can save Saul, if God can transform Saul, then God can change anyone. He can change you. He can transform me. He can, he can transform that family member or that coworker or that friend that is so anti-Christian, that doesn't want anything to do with Christianity, even threatens to, 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 to do or say things against the message of Jesus. God, Jesus, can transform anyone. If he can transform Saul, he can transform any of us. And God didn't just transform Saul into a nice church attender. He brought him into this adventure. He brought him into the move. And Paul went out on these missionary journeys, if you remember. And he went out and he planted over 20 churches. Some say between 14 and 20. Some say it was more than 20. All these churches. And he wrote 13 letters in the scriptures. 
I mean, he was stoned. I mean, he was shipwrecked. I mean, he was bit by snake. I mean, he went through all these amazing... God did this amazing work through Paul. But one of the beautiful, one of the most important things that God did through Paul was to summarize the message of Jesus, to give us the gospel. It wasn't just the man, Saul. It was the message that lives on to this very day that transforms us. And this is the message that, that God gave to Paul to clarify, to synthesize, so that we could enter into this movement. This is the message that changed Paul's life. And he, he, he wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you when you received and what you have taken on your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. This is the gospel that changed my life. If you hold firmly to the word I, pro- I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I have passed on to you of first importance. This is the most important message of your life. This is the message that transformed me from an evil, violent man into the most influential leader of the church. He says this, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised. This is the message. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the message that transformed Paul's life and can transform ours today. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried And he was raised. Repeat after me. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he was raised. That's the message. That's the message that transformed this violent, evil, persecuting man into the most influential leader of the church. But sometimes we hear this message, and sometimes you, I know many of you, have heard, even believe, and have shared this message with others. Sometimes we we can overlook this phrase right here, according to the Scriptures. See, Paul repeats himself twice. He says, according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. See, in order to understand this message, this powerful message, we have to understand the context for which it was spoken. It was spoken according to the Scriptures. Meaning there's a, there's a back story to the story of Jesus. And in order to understand and internalize the power of the gospel, we must understand the story of God. In order to understand all that God is doing in, through the gospel, we must understand this back story of the scriptures in order to value the most important message of our lives. We've got to understand this phrase according to the scriptures. And I had an opportunity to speak to our Uh, fifth and sixth graders a few weeks ago about communion and baptism. And we spent some time talking about the gospel, talking about this phrase, Christ died for our sins. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. We talked about John 3, 16, and we got into the gospel. I says, but in order for us to really understand and internalize this message, we have to see the story. We have to see this phrase according to the scripture. So I just want to ask Maddie to come up here. I wrote on the board on this time with the, in the class 
four words, just creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And these are the four words. And we're going to go a little bit of theology here in order to understand the beauty of the gospel. And to understand this message, to be able to share it and eternalize it with others. I asked I ask her to write creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. So as I was talking to these fifth and sixth graders, we talked about uh, how Christ died for our sins. We talked about John 3.16 and, and how, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they memorized this. They recited it back to me. I says, okay, but in order for that message to really be known and eternalized, we have to understand these four words, creation, that God created everything and that everything God created was good. God created the world. Thank you, Maddie. God created the world. He created Adam and Eve. And he created it very good. Adam and Eve are smiling. They're happy. They're created below God, above creation. Created to rule and subdue the earth. They had perfect community with God, with one another, with the planet. And they were only given one command. They said, you are free to eat from anything in the garden. Just don't eat the fruit from the middle of the garden. And we know what happened. They ate the fruit. And after they ate the fruit came the fall of humanity. The fall of humanity. Where they were separated from one another. There was enmity between the man and the woman. They were, there was conflict between husband and wife. They lost their relationship with their heavenly father. The scriptures say that they died. They didn't die uh, physically, that happened a little bit later. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. They were tossed out of the garden. There was enmity between the man and the woman. The fall, creation started off really good. Fall took a turn for the worse. And then redemption happened. All the way back in John 316, 316, or in, in uh, Genesis 3.16, we see this, this seed of the woman is going to crush Satan. And then this theme of redemption goes on. And then through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then through Moses and through the, the promised land and the parting of the Red Sea, and then the judges and the nation of Israel, God is redeeming time and time again. He's redeeming the nation. And then he gets to the cross, the gospel, where Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised. That's the message that transformed Saul's life. That's the message of redemption. But it doesn't stop there. See, there's also going to be the final consummation. The final day when Christ returns and he makes all things new and we return to this garden, only it's better. It's redeemed. Where all of humanity is smiling and worshiping God. Where God makes all things new. That's the end. And in order to understand the gospel... We must understand the context for which it was written. There's this creation, everything was good. There's this fall, the story of redemption. But then there's final consummation. See, see, someday Christ is going to return and he's going to make all things new. That's what we look forward to because of the gospel. And that's why we, we, we uh, give to the needs of the poor. Because someday there's going to be no more hunger. We're going to sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's going to be no more hunger. And we manifest the kingdom here. See, that's why we work so diligently at our jobs now and so faithfully and honestly, because someday we're going to work in the kingdom. 
And who's responsible with little is going to have more if you do that faithfully. And that's why we give our resources sacrificially now because we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. There's this future consummation where God will complete his good work of creation. This is according to the scriptures. And that's why we worship now because someday very soon when Christ returns, the whole church is going to gather every tongue, every tribe and declare that God, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is our savior. And, and that's what we look forward to. It's our final consummation, but it starts here. That Christ died, that, that, that he was buried, and that he rose again. That's the beauty. That's according to the scripture. So I was teaching these fifth and sixth graders and their parents about the gospel and this brief story of God. And then I, I, I could notice that some of them were taking notes, and I was kind of animated about this. This is a really important message. It transformed Paul's life, transformed my life. And they were taking notes. So I told them this story about when I was in jail. And all the fifth, sixth graders, their eyes popped, their jaws dropped. You know, the, their pastor was in jail, right? And I says, yeah, I was about 16 years old. And I was driving from Madison, Wisconsin, up to Brainerd, Minnesota for a hockey camp. And as I was driving along, you know, I borrowed my friend's fuzzbuster, which was not a good idea. I don't recommend it. So I, I'm driving along, and I'm going a little bit too fast, and I get pulled over. And in Wisconsin, uh, if you don't have your driver's license, you actually go to jail. And I didn't have my license at the time, and I, and I ended up in the jail in Menominee, Wisconsin. Anybody else been there? Okay, I, just, I see that here. Okay, so I was in jail. Now, it wasn't for very long, but I was 16 years old, and there was a guy in the cell next to me, and I was really uncomfortable in jail in Menominee, Wisconsin. And so my dad did something that I, I, I still thank him for to this day. He was actually in the car, in the car, in the back seat when this all happened. So it's a, it's a, it's a story. And, uh, and I was in jail, and my dad did something I'm still thankful for. He called up my mother, who called up Western Union, and they wired money so that I could get out of jail and go up to a hockey camp in Brainerd, Minnesota. So what do you think I said to my dad after I got out of jail? I mean, after I said, I'm sorry. What do you think I said after that? Thank you. Thank you. You paid my price, Dad. You got me out of jail. You set me free. See, that's what our Heavenly Father has done for us. But he didn't just send money, Western Union. He sent his one and only son. He gave his best. He gave his all. That's how valuable you are to your heavenly father. He sent his best so that we could be set free from the power and sin in our lives. So I was talking to these fifth and sixth graders and their parents, and I could see them taking notes, and they were writing down, and one of the parents came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor Chad, I just want to see what our daughter wrote down as she was listening to you describe the gospel, and she wrote down some notes, and I was pretty excited. You know, I thought she was going to write, you know, I finally got it. You know, God is amazing. And she put these big exclamation points, and she said, Pastor Chad went to jail. <laughs> That's what she got out of it. <laughs> Pastor Chad went to jail. Now, I didn't say it to them, but I wish I could. I'll say it to you now. I said, yes, I did go to jail, right? It wasn't very long. It was just a traffic violation, but I did. But I did much worse than that. I sinned against my Heavenly Father. I spit in His face. I walked away. I sinned against my family. And I might not be called the worst of sinner. That's Paul's claim, but I was right there with him. But I heard the voice. I saw the light. And I experienced God's forgiveness 
for my sin. And I was changed. See, if God can change Saul, if God can change me, God can change you. God can change your family member. God can change your friend, your coworker, your your classmate that's so anti-Christianity. He can transform any of us. See, that's what God does. That's the message of Saul. That's the transformation. That's the power of the gospel. You see, salvation is not just a one-time experience. It's not just, you know, I once was saved and that's all I did when I was a kid. I was four years old. I can't. Salvation is not this one-time experience. Salvation is a past, present, and future experience. This salvation that we delight in is a past, present, and future. Say, so in the past, God saved us from the penalty of our sin. In the future, God will save us from the presence of sin. And in the present, God is saving us from the power of sin. In the past, God has saved us from the penalty of our sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He took my place on the cross. He died so that I might live. I believe that. He saved me from the penalty of sin. But God will also save me from the presence of sin in the future. At the final consummation, there'll be no more crying, no more cancer. There's this future hope. No more sin. I'll be saved from the presence of sin forever. But right now, I'm being saved from the power of sin. Right now, all the temptations, all the challenges I can overcome because Christ died. He was buried and he was raised. I can overcome the temptations, the challenges that I face because the power of the gospel empowers me to overcome the temptations that I face. See, this is the revolution. This is the message that transforms our hearts, that transforms every area of of our lives. Do you believe it? Do you believe in the message of Jesus? Do you believe in this message that so transformed Paul? Maybe you're here today and and you know that, yes, you know, in my past, I made some big mistakes and I don't think that God can forgive me. Maybe it was last night, last week or 20 years ago. He said, I need God to forgive me for the my sins of the past and release me from the penalty of my sins. Or maybe you're here today and you need God to to reawaken you for that future consummation. Well, you'll be free from the presence of sin forever. Maybe you're experiencing sickness or maybe there's some tough things happening in your life and you don't know how God's going to make that into something good. And you just need to know because of the gospel, he's going to make all things new. He's going to transform whatever that is and make it into something beautiful. Or maybe you're here this day And there's some sin in your life and you need to experience the power of the gospel to overcome the sin that you face. That's the message of Paul. In his life and in his words, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised according to the story of God. And we as the church can participate in the movement of Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe the gospel? Are you living in and living out this message of salvation? God, I just want to thank you for your presence here this morning. I want to thank you for the word that you so clearly communicate through your word and through the life of Paul. You took this notorious persecutor of the church and you made him the most influential leader of your church. And we stand in awe of your grace 
and of your power. And hearing his story and hearing his message, we know that if you can change him, you can change me. You can change the habits that sometimes trip me up. You can change that bitterness in my life. You can change any one of us. It's the message of salvation. God has, God is, and God will be saving us, making all things new, making me new. Lord, I pray that we could embrace and deepen our faith, our trust in you and in your message. In Jesus' name.